I think we can connect with the working class if we make a valiant effort at it. We have to really, really try. And you also have to pass legislation outside of that to protect them and support them. And you have to back it up. Like you can't just talk about it. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We don't agonize, we organize. Infrastructure Week is finally here. Kids are getting COVID vaccines. More subpoenas are being handed down to former Trump officials by the January 6th Commission. There are a lot of reasons for hope this week. Mariah is out today, so joining me to talk about all the things we are paying attention to and some things we aren't but should be is the founder and executive director of the Democratic Coalition and host of the Dworkin Report podcast, Scott Dworkin. I'm Steve Pearson, and this is How We Win. I'm going to bring in Scott. I'm very excited for him to join us and help break down the news. Um, but first, before I do, I just want to say we are one year out until the midterms. And I have this feeling that I had after 2017 when we narrowly lost getting the majority in, in Virginia by, by a, a name out of a hat. Virginia's always been that close. And um, and swing left groups were organizing all over the country, building these really great networks of passionate volunteers, some who were familiar with politics and had organized before, a lot who were brand new and, and just jumping in because of the existential threat to our country. That threat still exists. We have so much to do, but I'm really proud to have been part of the swing left community for the last four, going on five years now. And with a year to go, I'm, I'm really excited about the work that we have ahead. I'm nervous. Um, it's not going to be easy. We have a lot to overcome, but um, one year until the next most important election of our lives. That's the midterms. And so uh, I know you're with me. I know you're tired. <laughs> I know that Virginia was a blow, um, but we're a year out and we are resolved and resolute and uh, we are going to fight till the bitter end. So let's get Scott Dworkin in here. Scott, thanks for joining and, and helping us while Mariah's gone break down the news and catch up a bit. It's been over a year since you were on the show and we uh, virtually bumped into each other, I guess, right before the election at a round table with uh, Speaker Pelosi, uh, which was pretty cool. Um, we've had some historic wins after that and a disappointing um, outing in Virginia last week. An interesting poll came out. I don't know if you saw it in the New York Times um, this morning, talking about engagement with working class swing voters. With one year to go before the midterms, where do you think we are right now and who do we need to reach? I guess what I'm asking is, what is our democratic coalition? See what I did there? Right. Yeah, I like that. Uh, yeah, we, we uh, you know, I think we have a lot of people who are working class people running for office. Uh I, you know, obviously some people have been in Congress for a few years now. So, you know, they're not really working class making, you know, uh, low end of what 
almost $200,000 a year. Right. Um, so, it's, so they're not really struggling or, or whatnot, but they've been there. They've seen the struggle. They're up front, like Tim Ryan running for Senate in Ohio. You have Val Demings in Florida. There's there's people running for office now that are more for the people and less of the established politician type. Yeah, Tim Ryan's been around for a while and Val Demings has had to run in different elections and whatnot, but they still relate with people. They haven't become that sort of like corporately owned kind of uh, person running for office. So I think with with those kind of folks running for office, it helps us connect with working folk because um, we need we need people who represent unions running for office. We need people mm-hmm. who are, are members, you know, that that actually are running for office from the Teamsters or from UFCW. And so, you know, we try and we try and help out people in the local level level as well. But anyways, I think with uh, in, in connecting with working class voters, assuming that they're going to support one person or another is always a bad tactic. But taking it state by state and taking it city by city by city and breaking that up as to, okay, what are the major issues here? Because it's gotta be specific to them is, is my point here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have to be knowledgeable about it. One of the biggest problems that we have is we'll have politicians who have, uh, I, I guess, a broad speak about uh, how they support labor unions, but like that union wants to know how you support their specific bill or their specific funding or what's gonna benefit their union specifically. And a lot of people can't speak to that. And a lot of people just speak broadly. And I think if we speak specifically to each union, um, if we have people who are candidates who know about that, like Tim Ryan knows about unions inside and out. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a uh, Tim Ryan fan here as an Ohioan. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be a struggle to any for any kind of group, especially with working class, because there are a lot of people who are less educated white men who are more prone to be Trump supporters than they are to be liberals or supporting anybody. And yeah, they may have voted for Biden, but they may not like where things have gone or that, you know, um, so we just have to treat them individually. We have to check them individually on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, where we make the mistake is if we make a national message about it uh, right. and it doesn't resonate with Pennsylvania, but it does with Ohio. Uh, instead, trying to make it state by state, local by local, like, that's the most important part of union connection. So I think we can connect with the working class if we make a valiant effort at it. Like we have to really, really try and you have to do that every election. And you also have to pass legislation outside of that to protect them and support them. And you have to back it up. Like you can't just talk about it. And so, um, you know, delivering for them and the working people and making sure that they get funding and money um, has been important. And I think reminding them of what we've, accomplished so far and how Republicans basically didn't want you to have that money. Republicans didn't want to help you out. Right. Uh, we have to get better at that plain messaging and also overcoming, you know, fake messaging like critical race theory. Uh, right. and, and so we've got to confront all those things. And I think as long as we do it, we can break down any barriers we have be- between them and the uh, us and the working class or, or whatnot. But also President Biden is, is still pretty popular within uh labor unions especially. And so uh, he's going to be a great person to go campaigning in Ohio and Pennsylvania, especially after this infrastructure bill passed. So I, I think that we have a bright future. We just need to remind people what we're doing for them and how Republicans don't want you to benefit from any of these things. And it's got to be clear and it's got to be straightforward. and It's got to be delivered by someone they can relate to. And I think we have that uh, luckily. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm not as worried about that as look because we have workhorses right now that are running for office. And, mm-hmm. and if we didn't, I'd be more, if we had a template person who's more 
of an old school institutional kind of person, I, I don't think it would be, I think it would be bad news because Republicans would just rail on it. Um, so yeah, that's my thought. I know that's the long winded, like, well, you <laughs> it's know, it's a we podcast moment, answer, but... right? right. <laughs> We're allowed to be long winded on podcasts. <laughs> that's the Let point. Me not answer the question by answering the question. <laughs> no, you were, you were singing my song a hundred percent because I, I, uh, couldn't agree more that we get into a lot of trouble when we're and, and we seem to be so fixated on that national message. Like, what is the messaging that's going to cut through um, for Democrats writ large? And um, and we know that all politics is local and, and we have a very diverse and varied country um, with people who have uh, a lot of different priorities. So and also that's why uh, I personally think it's so important to invest in down ballot races and and work that reverse coattails approach when it comes to uh, working up the ballot because when we build that kind of power in individual communities um, and address their needs, uh, I think that's how we win. And um, and then the second point you made, actually delivering for people. like. You know, message, smeshage, make their lives better. That's what's going to really resonate with people if you can actually make their lives better. And, um, you know, for the the biggest news item of the week, which is very exciting uh, that you touched on already, is exactly that. We passed um, through Congress the $1.2 trillion infrastructure package on Friday. And uh, it's going to deliver $550 billion of new federal investments in America's infrastructure over five years. It touches everything from bridges and roads to the nation's broadband and water and energy systems. Uh, It's got some really uh, compelling climate investments in there, too. And um, as you said, the GOP not only – I mean, it's a bipartisan bill – there, uh, there has been some reporting this morning of uh, some big backlash from GOP leadership against the people who voted for this. So, um, you know, the rank and file lawmakers, there's 13 Republican lawmakers who voted for the, uh, the infrastructure bill. Uh, they're talking about stripping them of their committee assignments, some of them in leadership, for giving the American people the infrastructure that is broadly – popular and what the Republicans, when they were in power under Trump, tried to seemingly pass every single week. It was infrastructure week and and they couldn't get it done. Um, And of course, no matter how many committee assignments get stripped, no matter how many people are slapped on the back of the hand for not opposing the Dems at every turn, these same Republicans will go to their districts and talk about all the good stuff that this did for their districts and the, and the money that goes into those districts, right? Um, so like you said, Democrats need to make their case. I know that Biden's going to have a big signing ceremony and then he'll start uh, making that case. But uh, how do you think that's going to resonate? What, what are your feelings overall about this bill? I mean, it's a, it's a great sort of compromise. It's not as much as anybody wanted. Um, you know, obviously it's kind of funny seeing the GOP wanting to remove their own from committees because they supported a bill because it's a win for Biden and they don't care about how many people it benefits, um, the millions and millions of people that it will actually benefit and employ and help out and, uh, the businesses it'll help, um, the money that'll flow across the country in America, in America, spending it on American jobs and American, uh, workers and and like it i guess it's just it's just weird how you know there's a few things that i noticed is one it was passed after virginia 
And so it makes me feel that the progressives were not going to be on board with it and Republicans weren't going to be on board with it before Virginia either. And so once the election was over, then everybody seemed to kind of get together. Um, but one, and once they cleared the vote or knew that the vote was going to be a certain way, I think some of the progressives decided to vote against it. So mm-hmm. as a protest vote, um, I don't, I don't think they would have voted for it if it was close. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of those things. But yeah, it's, it's weird to see people go against just the, the fact that it's win or lose. Like, and that's, that's just not how uh, politics should work. Like it shouldn't be us or them for everything. It shouldn't be like a fight for everything. Like you can compromise and it's okay for some people to win and some people to lose a little bit or come to the middle of it. So I, I just don't, I think that, you know, the negotiations, obviously I think we see too much, but also people, I guess, talked about the fact that we went so far, like we went really out there as to what we were requesting in the bills. And maybe that was a negotiating tactic. Maybe we're we're never going to get that stuff. Right. And so people just seem to respect that as well. But, but the the fact is that to me, jobs and money uh, going to people that need it. And I think that Republicans might be mad about the fact that Biden had a big win and they just don't care about the fact that it helps America at all. Um, and that I just don't understand exactly what they're trying to do here because they're already talking back in their districts about how, how it passed and how it's going to benefit their district and how they're bringing money to their district, even right. though they voted against it. And right. that's just baffling to me. If, you, if you're against it, be against it. If you're not against it, why didn't you vote for it? Um, so they did know, the same thing it. with the child credits. They did the same thing with the recovery, uh, the yep. coronavirus recovery money. Yep. Yep. And it's just, it's, it's devastating to just trust issues. I mean, a lot of people just don't want to hear about politics anymore um, because they're so sick of all the lies and they don't know which way is up and they just, all right, I don't want to hear from this guy anymore, that kind of thing. And so it, it's just, it's tough, but you know, obviously there's going to be more spending bills coming up. Um, I think part of, uh, the the build back better is going to come through. I think there's going to be social spending that comes through. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, again, I don't understand exactly why you'd be against millions of Americans benefiting from something and employing millions of Americans. And I, uh, you, oh, I'm not sure exactly how many people it would employ, but um, a lot of Americans. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's just such a big benefit and such a big boost to so many communities that I, I just, being against it when we have the opportunity to do this, it just doesn't make any sense to me long-term because these are highly popular, as you had said, in every single state, even in places like Idaho and Wyoming, like it's popular. So I I don't understand why, like, what are we paying taxes for if we can't benefit from those taxes? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not their tax money. It's our tax money. Obviously they're not paying for anything. So I think that this is one of those losses where the corporate people who donate to the Republicans are pissed off because they don't want that money to be redirected to people in a certain way. And they don't want, want to be more rules and regulations as to where the money's going to go and how it's going to be allotted. So it's not going to go directly to them. It'll go to a company or sub company, or it'll go to smaller companies instead of the major corporations. So they can't then do the trickle down kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's just a lot of, lot of disconnect as to what actually has been delivered and what they're trying to block. And I think, again, when it comes to 2022, we got to get real, really strict with the messaging about a simple kind of messaging um, and as long as we do that, then we can protect the House and expand the Senate. But yeah, long story short, 
I think this is all great for America. And as we see more things come out of Republican corruption and more people get actually in trouble for their corruption, mm-hmm. I think that it, it, it'll, it'll be more of an America-centric Congress. And people like, even though he's leaving, but people like Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney, they will take over the Republican Party. Mitt Romney, people who were not insurrectionists, people who were not against America, people who didn't rail against these bills publicly and act like it was the end of the world to, to help Americans. So I think we're going to see this is all going to benefit the Biden administration, but mostly it's going to help America. So I think think it's going to be a positive impression for everybody. I mean, look at they couldn't even really rip it down. You know, what I mean, there was too much positivity this weekend. It was great to celebrate something, celebrate yeah. a win um, for so many people and for, for it to be so basic. Like, look at this gigantic win. Look at what Congress actually did for the American people. And look at Joe Biden delivering on some of his uh, campaign promises in, in 10 months, it's something that Trump couldn't do in what, four years. Yeah. So it, it's just it's pretty amazing, especially after the divisiveness and, and, and everything, getting over 10 members of Congress to vote for anything for the other party. It just, you know, it shows, it shows the strength of the bill. And um, so I'm, I'm very happy about how things went. I think we ended up in a good spot where we help a lot of people. It's not everything we wanted, not, not even close, but you know, it's progress. It's something, you know, we're, we're building along. And um, I just, you know, I worked, around the hill and in dc for since 2006 or so and and it's just things don't happen this quickly like this is light speed this is amazing how they got it done especially in this environment and i uh so i look forward to what's next but this is this is huge it's a big one for america overall yeah so i'm happy i'm happy about it i think it's going to be great for america in the future and i think it's going to benefit democrats in 2022 elections well, that's a and that's a really important point that um, you just made about things not happening this fast. I mean, it's really hard to move legislation through Congress, any yeah. one piece of legislation. But when you have something that has so many components to it, like this bill does, um, which will soon be law, and um, and also the Build Back Better. Um, the reconciliation portion of it, which is um, now, I guess, going to get a CBO score before it gets voted on, um, and uh, and I'm I'm very optimistic that that's going to get passed too. Um, you know, I like two things you said. One, we really were shooting for the moon with this list of priorities, and like and and for progressives or just basic humans who look at our country and and we like wait we're the only industrialized country that doesn't have paid family leave like like it seems like such no brainers it seems so basic that um that it can be incredibly frustrating when you see some of that stuff get pared down or you know how can we do it all together but uh you know the speed and scope of this legislation is without precedent in my lifetime. And uh, and I, I believe the reconciliation package will also get passed. And it is also going to have some really transformative uh, stuff in there for our country. So I agree. It's it's hard uh, when we have that chant of, you know, what do we want? Change. When do we want it? Now, you know, not after a deliberative and thoughtful process where we go to committee and then we break it down and compromise and all that, you know, it's like... But um, but there's what we want. There's what we fight for. And we should be bold in what we fight for. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We should shoot for the moon. We should go for everything that we need to make people's lives better, to make this country more equitable. But we need to celebrate and be really uh, 
you know, really celebrate this, this win. Cause this is, this is huge. And, um, and I, I think you talked about this happening right after the Virginia election. We had Jennifer Bendry from HuffPost on last week, kind of talking about that. And, and she, she took, um, first of all, Speaker Pelosi right after the election saying we're putting paid family leave back in. Um, she kind of took that as, as a, uh, a new call to urgency post-Virginia election. Because, um, you know, I looked at those election results in Virginia, which is very disappointing. I know that we all worked really hard to make sure we hold, held on to the trifecta there. Um, I, I looked at it with sort of two different things that I've been looking at since we won the majority in Congress and the Senate and uh, Senate sort of and the White House. Um, it's going to be tough to hold on to that. We have a really hard fight ahead of us, but we also need to take advantage of this time, this time right now, to pass as much transformative legislation as we can. And I think that sense of urgency really hit right after Virginia, where they're like, okay, you know, um, we need to get this done now. Yeah, yeah Virginia election was, I, you know, the thing that was, was unique about it, there's a lot of things that were unique about it. One is Trump's inaction in it. And how I step back and listen to Yunkin and be get away from me, look, dude, I need you, but I don't need you, and and I think that kind of balance opened some Republicans' eyes a little bit, uh, but what they don't realize he phoned it is, in. He did the phone yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he did the one call in, and then he'll, uh, you know, he'll obviously. I think he's going to have a resurgence next year. I think he's going to come back and haunt all Republicans and he's going to announce for presidency. I think he's going to mm-hmm. then then before primary season and then ask for endorsements. And he's I have people choose sides. And then if they don't choose him, then he's going to primary him. And I think that's a, that's exactly the route that he's going to go with it. And, and yet, you know, Virginia is a little bit different with this because I, I know that we didn't, my group did not, and others did not uh, do what we usually do, which is actually present him how he was. Uh, we let Glenn Youngkin drive too much of the narrative, and we let him mm. lie about false issues that don't exist. And we, we need to get better at doing that. Um, but also at the same time, like we, we want some kind of civility. And it was nice to see, even though he's terrible and his policies are awful, it was nice to see him not just constantly bashing someone uh, and see Republican and Democrat on stage and talking about policy less than who the individual is or trying to attack them personally. Um, it was yeah. it was kind of nice to see that, but yeah, I we guess that's go, an awfully low bar though. Hard. Right? That, oh, the bar is low. The bar is low, brother. It is, yeah. this is not a high bar. Here. Anyways, the, I think Virginia election is is different, and I think 2022. Obviously, we're going to have a fight on our hands, but we got to. Um, you know, we, we got to keep in mind that we still have the momentum on our, our side, even though we did lose in Virginia. Yeah. You mentioned something else that I want to talk about, some uh, newsy stuff. You, you mentioned uh, hopefully Trump officials actually facing repercussions for their actions. Some more subpoenas have been handed down to Trump officials by the January 6th commission, including uh, convicted and then pardoned Mike Flynn, who name checked you on Twitter after you predicted that he would be subpoenaed. Um, What do these new subpoenas tell you about the progress that the commission is making? Well, that was uh, Mike Flynn's son, who him and his dad didn't didn't like me very much. We had 
I, I filed the original. Uh, You're doing fair something complaint. right, right away. If, if you yeah, <laughs> yeah, he he was he was not. It was 2017, and and we filed the fair. Com oh no, it was 2016, and we filed the fair complaint where he Flynn was an unregistered foreign agent, and that kind of helped move that process along, and that's what he eventually lied about, and you know got in trouble for legally. Right. Um. But but I think you know there's a lot of things happening in regards to the January 6th committee. They have a ton of evidence, a ton of evidence. So I can't imagine what the FBI has. There's so many cases coming up. They're going to find that pipe bomber. Um, there's going to be so much bad news surrounding that. And I really think that people are going to be compelled like Michael Cohen was at that, that time. I think they're going to be compelled to, to comply because they're going to be more powerful, especially in December um, than most committees in Congress. And I think they're going to take center stage because they're going to start releasing some of the evidence in reports. Mm. And uh, with that, you know, recommending uh, some sort of prosecution for individuals. And, uh, you know, I, I think that it's possible. I think that some of the evidence that they come up with and the descriptions of it and what they've uncovered on top of what the FBI has uncovered and some of the testimony is going to lead to prosecution of people. Now, again, you know, everybody's jaded from that, you know, the Mueller report and how there weren't prosecutions that were, you know, hundreds of people or anything like that. Right. And, you know, there still were in the president's inner circle. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that it's it's yes, the subpoenas, the subpoena fight with Bannon is annoying, but I think he's going to get arrested for it. And I think he's going to be held accountable. And I think that's going to scare everybody else straight because they don't want to be arrested. They don't want to be prosecuted by this DOJ. Yeah. Uh, no chance whatsoever. So I think justice is coming, but it just takes, it feels like forever. But keep in mind, we still work on, you know, they're still prosecuting people for stuff related to the Russian attack on America in 2016. Yeah. You know, they're just getting the things uh, in 2017 now. And a lot of the, the obstruction at DOJ is amazing. And how many people were actually involved with supporting Trump and trying to overthrow the government. So, I mean, they've had a lot to deal with on top of everything else. Uh, so I, I think that the January 6th committee though, working in coordination with the FBI and DOJ and everything that they've come up with, I, I think that's gonna lead to, to some things. And I, I think that people won't wanna be roped into that um, and they'll wanna comply because if you don't comply, then they'll probably uh, release as much information about you and what you've done and your role and responsibilities and what crimes you committed and how you should be prosecuted for that um, recommended referral. Well, how, however they do it, people, are, I think people are going to be arrested for this because they have to. And if they're yeah. not, then we need to get new leaders in, in Congress. And Absolutely. Like that, it will, but eventually people will be held accountable for this. The organizers, the funders, the people who are there. They, they have to be. They can't just be a smack on the wrist. Like people need to go to prison. People need to lose their life savings. Like this is a disastrous place for, for the United States to be in. And I can't believe it's taken this long. Uh, I think most of the people who are physically there should have been arrested on site. Um, right. But, but uh, you know, again, we are here. We made it to here. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they release next. I, I am too jaded about subpoenas and, you know, oh, they subpoenaed this group of people. Great. And I think I'm like, well, are they going to comply with it or are they it not going to comply like, with it? It seems like this new – like since they actually did um, go through the process with Bannon and those others right. to uh, call them in contempt, um, that this will highly incentivize them to not risk that same action for themselves. So I, I think – They don't want that PR. And they, they were shocked. They, like, I have sources of the Republican Party. They, they were shocked. 
Like they had no idea that we go, they were, they would go this far in the hill. And I'm like, dude, how like, could they not? Yeah. They, they, it's the only choice they have. Like you're scoffing at them. I've never seen anybody. I, I mean, people, friends of mine who had to testify against corrupt politicians before getting a congressional subpoena, like they got it. And it was like, the weight of the world was on their shoulders and they were terrified and they should be. Yeah. And that's how it should feel because it's not like a fun situation to testify against your, your former boss or whatever. And you still work on the Hill. Um, but when you get that subpoena, you got to show up. I mean, look at Hillary, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have, to, you have to be able to enforce it. And so we have to change the rules around that. And I think that's another thing is we have to progress to, a new brand of ethics and it enforcing people to take it seriously. And so this is just a reminder that maybe there's not as much justice out there as we think, especially not with white dudes who worked with Trump. Right. So, you know, that I, I think a lot of these people should be in jail. Some of them got pardons. Like I didn't ban and get a ban. Yeah. I mean, that was like 17 years ago. Um, every, everything is just, I, I think that it's just going to, you know, eventually it'll unravel, and I think the committee's going to do it. So I'm I'm happy with where it's going, but I think Bannon's going to going to be headed to prison. He or he'll flip on everybody else. Mm. Um, but he'll delicious Schadenfreude on ban. that. Yeah, he's not going to prison. He's like he's not going to want to go to prison. So even if you were to get arrested, I think he'd flip at that point. He'd be like, okay, like the jigs, like I'm done, I'm done. Like I went as far as I could go because now it's just. A, a game to him it's a promotion tactic it's pr it's a roger stone moment you know what i mean like he's like they're fighting against me and he's got nothing to lose because it's like oh they're gonna tarnish his name no come on it's steve bannon it's already tarnished like he, he did that himself so, <laughs> anyway. don't want to tarnish steve bannon's good name in the zeitgeist his place in history could be really altered by this right i know oh my god such an ethical person. That is a clear joke, and he is unethical, and he belongs in prison. <laughs> just to be clear, garbage Anybody person. Would crop the, cut this out, and then piece it on the internet. And be like, I can't believe Scott said this. That's why yeah. I brought you on the show was to to you know get you to say something nice about Steve gotcha. Bannon and put it out there. Yeah, um, I thought I went on Michael Cohen's podcast, and I thought he was going to try and do that with some of our investigations into him, and he he didn't. It was like interviewing with just a normal person. Yeah. It was cool. He was very excited. Anyways, uh, yes. All, <laughs> all of this, all of this stuff, to your point, moves very slowly. And I was thinking about this this morning that you know collectively we have our stages of grief and you mentioned the Mueller report and all that so there's the outrage and the disbelief so I'm butchering what the stages of griefs are are but you know ultimately there comes acceptance and we sort of move on collectively and somewhere after that is when actual justice is served so it takes a lot of work for us to really stay focused and stay vigilant and make sure that um, that justice is served, that um, that people don't get away with it, because there's only so much that we can hold on to as as humans. So much outrage and and vitriol that's even though it's justified and well earned, you know. So uh, yeah, that's exciting. A lot going on. Steve Bannon, total garbage person, uh, and hopefully he'll be arrested soon. That would set a nice precedent, um, a refreshing precedent to hold these people accountable. Um, you know, there's been a lot of other stuff going on. Uh, you know, there's there's the tragedy in Astro World, of course, in Houston that left eight concert goers dead, 
Aaron Rodgers has been dominating the news cycle for lying about his vaccination status. There's a lot of stuff that takes a lot of space in the news cycle. Is there anything uh, that we should be paying attention to that we're not seeing in the news cycle that's on your radar? Uh, Yeah, I mean, like one of them would be making sure that we're promoting everything from the January 6th committee itself. Um, When it comes to public examples of, of shame and whatnot, Astroworld is an example of a corporation not listening and hurting people and being cool with it and then acting like it never happened and trying to roll past it with good PR, um, even mm-hmm. with apologies or, or whatnot. As, as a musician, I'm sickened by that. Like we've stopped shows before um, because someone, one person was injured or we thought, and I don't even think there were. Oh, wait, I didn't even uh, realize you were a musician. Oh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I won't tell everyone. What do you, what do you play? What's your, what's your band? Piano and, and guitar. It goes by my name now, so it's just Scott Dworkin, uh, and I'm doing my first album for fun, uh, just for fun, that we're going to release next year. Oh, awesome. um, so I play guitar and piano, and like I just started recently recording music for our campaign ads. Uh, I don't I don't know why I decided to start doing this, but it it's it's been fun because it's like writing a soundtrack for 30 seconds or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I enjoyed it a lot. I haven't performed in the during covid at all right um but yeah i've been playing since i was uh oh man 32 years ago i started piano and then then guitar and i was i've been writing songs and music since uh, uh, 10 years old or so so i mean a lot of the writing is, is just like the writing on twitter so um you know it's it's very uh expressive <laughs> in regards <laughs> and very clear as to what i'm saying but yeah, a lot of a lot of it's just like my uh, activism where I talk about, you know, a lot of my songs are about inequity and inequality mm-hmm. and talking crap about people who deserve to be uh, talked crap about. And I did write one one song that that was called like F Donald Trump, but it wasn't F at the beginning. <laughs> and uh, no, I think I think it's 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 definitely a fun hobby for me. What's funny to me is now because of the social media following, they're like people are willing to be like, oh, well, you know, well, we'll just try and get it out there and we'll get it professionally recorded instead of you doing it yourself like I, I would want to do. Um, we'll, we'll pay for studio time and we'll do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Now it sounds like a job. Like, And I'm like, <laughs> but I'm totally intrigued by it. So it's not- That's awesome. Like, it's not going to take up too much of your time. But yeah, it's another thing that, that I've done for years. And I, I for really- For those who it. don't know, when you talk about your social media following, you have over a million followers on Twitter now, which is pretty amazing. Oh yeah, I got the M. I, I was. It, it was cool to see so many friends be like, "We gotta get them past this," and I'm like, "Why? Like, why? Why do I have to get? Like, this seems like you know." I remember getting to like ten thousand. Uh, I don't remember when, and, and I was like, "Oh, that's so." Like, I remember being so excited about it, and then it was like got to so, somewhere like half a million or whatnot, and then it's like turning 30 like no nothing else happens till you're 40 so i didn't even pay attention to the following and i think that's one of the things like if i did pay attention to the numbers the following how many retweets or likes or whatnot there'd be way too much pressure it'd be too structured it wouldn't be things that i could talk about like off the belt where i'm just like boom 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 like writing something or um you know fighting back against something so 
it's just but it is it's amazing to see that uh and i've been told oh you'd have more followers if you didn't tweet as much well tough i'm gonna keep <laughs> more followers well yeah. check out check out scott's twitter feed and check out his music if you haven't because one million twitter followers can't be wrong <laughs> right that was an elvis reference there <laughs> and uh um i am also a musician so i i would love to just lay down a guitar track on one of your songs or something just let me know i can put some slide something down whatever you need yeah we got some friends uh joining me i got some i got some friends that are rockers and uh so that's the way i'm gonna do it sort of like a dj khaled where i have famous people on <laughs> tracks or whatever then it makes it good you know what i mean uh, otherwise it's just me like whining about something <laughs> i like the whining too <laughs> um all right let's uh we we always talk about a hero of the week every week so let's talk about our hero of the week I didn't make you come up with one, uh, but you're going to love my hero of the week. If you don't know, we like to highlight an activist or someone who's doing something uh, notable. Um, so this week, our hero of the week is Big Bird. <laughs> Big Bird, uh, if you uh, have not been on social media or turned on the news or have otherwise just been watching Squid Game over and over again, uh, Big Bird has been recently vaccinated and uh, made a statement encouraging kids to get vaccinated. And somehow Big Bird being vaccinated became a huge political event, uh, sparking backlash and derision, including from uh, another garbage person, Ted Cruz. Um, he just picks the worst things. He just wants publicity, of course, but he just picks the, the worst things to jump on. Um, but, uh, but of course, Sesame Street and Big Bird reach so many kids and families at this important, important time when finally kids are being able to be vaccinated and, uh, and we start to see some genuine hope at the end of this, uh, pandemic because of that. So Big Bird, you are our hero of the week. And I know that resonates with you, Scott, because you've had a lot of tweets, random tweets that end with get vaccinated. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, that's the, the, the whole idea of the, I guess, the, the last 40 weeks, um, 40 weekends on Saturdays and Sundays, we've trended a non-political item to draw people in that may be divisive, like waffles or pancakes or something along those lines. And then people will respond. Um, but also we push vaccinations as our vaccination, vaccination drive but without pushing politics. And that, that's the, the whole goal of it. And we have a bunch of people who say, I got vaccinated now because I saw, but the three or four, but it, it has been a successful way to cut out the politics, but also get people pulled in so that they it's it's free advertising for vaccines, basically. Yeah, that's but yeah, I love I love Big Bird and it's not I think it's OK for puppets from Sesame Street to especially Big Bird to, to make kids feel less scared about something they're going to need to have in order to go to school. Yeah, I think that's OK. More than okay, and um, and there's uh, there's actually a fun account that's opened up on Twitter, uh, Big Bird for Senate now, uh, running to challenge Ted Cruz in Texas. So, um, uh, Big Bird just embraced his political acumen and uh, is now taking him on. So I, I love that. Love it. Um, I want to quickly give our to-do list because every week we give people something to do. And um, this week is no different, even though people are kind of tired and burnt out coming off that Virginia election. Um, the holidays are coming up. 
It's a lovely time to think about gift giving and uh, what better gift to give than the gift of democracy by helping support some of these frontline races for Congress and Senate. So I encourage everyone to go to swingleft.org slash funds and and find different ways to donate to campaigns. Um, what, Scott, I'm sure you know, by the way, uh, the Democratic Coalition and yourself have been great, great partners with Swing Left and, and uh, wrote, your, your peeps wrote so many letters for Vote Forward in the last election. So thank you for that. And, um, and we have some really great ways for people to donate to the races that are going to matter the most. Uh, Swing Left does all the research, finds the races that need the money the most, that are the closest, so you don't have to. So check out that page, swingleft.org slash funds. Consider uh, gifting that to your like conservative uncle. Like um, <laughs> uh, on your behalf for Christmas, I donated to uh, hold the hold the house like that. That's a gift that um, will lead to some fun conversations around the holiday table. Right. <laughs> And I mentioned the Democratic Coalition there and, and uh, what great partners you've been and the amazing action you've, you've put out. Um, what's your focus right now? How are you driving action? I, I saw on Twitter you've got a, a Fire Ron DeSantis campaign going on. I fully endorse that. He's another garbage person. I'm not sure who's worse, him or Governor Abbott from Texas. Of course, Ron, Ron DeSantis, for anyone who doesn't know, is the Republican governor of Florida. Tell me a little bit about what your uh, your focus is right now. So we're going to do a lot of online organizing around defeating DeSantis and Abbott because we don't think the party is going to really back it as much. And I think it's important for us to focus on it. I think there might be chances. Um, both are weirdly, incredibly popular still um, with their bases. So mm -hmm. I, I still think there's a chance, though, and we have to keep on trying. Um, especially in Florida, you know, I've worked in Florida since 2006 or so. And uh, it's just, you know, it's multiple states in one state. It's like California, like it's, you can't just win statewide. You have to win all the regions in order to win the race. Um, and I think we have some great candidates um, for, for each to defeat the governors, but um, we're also working on the Senate. I think we, we need to make Mansion and Cinema irrelevant and expand the Senate so that they can't play these games and block legislation yeah. or the bidding of Republicans. Um, so focusing on that, and then there will be select House races that we're going to focus on. But uh, on top of that, we're going to have a positive uh, drive. We're going to focus on uh, getting your booster shots. So we'll, we'll be hmm. doing a campaign about that. Um, and then we have our new opposition research uh, wing that's going to open up. We we did opposition research like people don't recognize it sometimes because I don't always put a stamp on it because I want it to go and be, be covered widely without them asking permission and whatnot. Um, so we'll we'll do that a lot of times. We've been doing it for years. We used to run something called Trump Leaks in 2016, which was a an opposition to WikiLeaks. Um, so we would cover anybody in the Trump orbit and investigate them and release evidence around them and they get news coverage and whatnot. So we're doing that same thing again. Um, and we're going to focus on Republican candidates um, because we don't believe that Republicans actually vet their candidates and there's more mm. out there. And so using their own words to talk about what they really stand for. Um, so getting video clips from 14 years ago where they said X, Y or Z to make sure the voter knows who they are. Um, so that's going to be another big part of it. But we really, really 
think it's important to make sure that we confront DeSantis and Abbott, and we do believe that we can win in those states, in Texas and Florida. Um, we beat Trump. We won statewide in, in Alabama. We won both Senate races in Georgia. We can win in Texas and Florida. It takes a lot of work, and maybe it's not this cycle, but we will eventually win in Texas and Florida statewide again. Here, here. We always have to work to compete in those states, especially, but everywhere. And um, and even when we fall short, uh, we make progress. And if we weren't making so much progress in Texas, for instance, the, uh, the legislature wouldn't have passed all of this restrictive voter suppression legislation, you know, because they they know that Texas is turning purple. We really were were uh, shaking the foundation of of Texas politics in the 2020 election. So. I agree with you. Uh, let's talk about our reasons for hope because it, it's exactly what you were talking about. Mine is at least. So let's talk about our reasons for hope. My reason for hope is New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who is widely considered to be Senate uh, Republicans' top recruit in the country, uh, took a pass on running for Senate uh, this morning. It was a big blow for the GOP that was hoping to build some momentum and um, and good news for Democratic Senator uh, Maggie Hassan, who faces a really tough campaign to hold that seat. She won by only 1,017 votes in the last election. And this is one of those seats that had, had been seen by Republicans to be vulnerable. It still is. It's going to be a tight race. But Sununu uh, is a national figure and, uh, and a, a, a leading recruit for the Republicans. So this is a big blow. And that gives me hope um, because we are <laughs> – I agree with you 100 percent. Obviously, everyone listening to this podcast wants to make sure that we not only hold on to our Senate majority, but we do make – mansion and cinema less relevant in the next Senate. So um, that's my reason for hope for this week. What about you? Let's let's end with your reason for hope. Uh, Anti-vaxxers are losing mm. uh, everywhere. And I think that vaccine mandates are going to become what's what, especially with kids being able to be vaccinated now. Um, you won't be able to go to school without getting vaccinated, without the vaccination. I, like any other kind of vaccination they have. And vaccine mandate. So right. I think that the messaging war around that has been won in regards to uh, the, the extent that we can take it. And now it's just about mandates because we can't, if you haven't been talked into it now, you're not going to be talked into it. So uh, moving forward, I think getting booster shots uh, and, the, and the people that are getting them and people are getting, you know, going out again, they're, we're having, you know, a lot of get togethers and we're, we're not as nervous and, you know, COVID is spreading less, but we're still in the middle of a pandemic. But I see a light at the end of the tunnel, and I see a lot of friends that are doctors and nurses and medical professionals that are they they can see the end of the tunnel as well. Mm. Um, and they may not be tomorrow or next month or next year, but they they see an end of the, in sight, um, and they see a lot of potential, and that really inspires me and gives me hope, uh, especially because some of them have slept in the hospital for weeks at a time. Yeah. Some of them were pregnant, working with COVID. Uh, patients as late as seven months in, you know, and it's just amazing uh, work. And and also, you know, there's just so many people that have contributed to saving so many lives. And I think uh, overall, just it, it's nice to see the false messaging from anti-vaxxers lose. And I think they're losing this uh, battle. And, and I'm glad to, I think that's inspiring to me. 
That is inspiring. That gives me more hope than anything else. And um, and I, I see a light at the end of the tunnel, too. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing the perspective from your healthcare worker friends, too, because that's really good to see. And thank you for helping out today, for you know being just a great all-around guy, and for your incredible work in leadership. I'm looking forward to continuing this fight together in the coming months. But thanks so much for joining us today on How We Win. Give money to Swing Left. They are legit and they have my stamp of approval. That's for sure. And I, I don't say that about many organizations, but like legit working, they're, they're grinders, you know, people who work around the clock and I support them 100%. So give them money. Okay. Just keep that in mind. Thank you for that. Looking forward to, uh, looking forward to jamming together when we go on the progressive rock tour. Rock on! <laughs> Thanks, Scott. I apologize to your speakers for that. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today. This is how we win. We win when all of us get involved. We want to know your reason for hope. Send us an email at podcast at swingleft.org or tweet to us at bluesboysteve and at mariah underscore craven. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever else you get your pods. Share us on social media. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, sign up to volunteer. We really appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with some more next Wednesday. We'll see you then. Bye.